Let's pray together. Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God, we want to draw near, we want to be touched and to touch you. So we just ask that you'd open our hearts now, help feeble thoughts and words to become a message from you that'll touch us, your people. We pray this right now in your holy name, Lord Jesus through the Father and by the Spirit, and all God's children said, Amen. We invited um, the church family to go on a Lenten worship journey, a daily journey a while back, and, and a number of folks uh, took us up on that. And we, we used a devotional book called Soundtrack to focus our worship time. And so uh, nightly, we would get on Zoom, and some people could come a few times, some people came most every night, but the this, this, this title of that devotional soundtrack was supposed to be sort of a modern way of talking about a collection of songs that God has given us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, the book of Psalms, P-S-A-L-M-S. And unfortunately for most of us, uh, we've never experienced actually singing the Psalms, but apparently that would have been exactly what was the normal experience of God's people when they were first put together, and then at different uh, stages throughout the history of the church. In fact, uh, it, I think it's been said that the Psalms were sung consistently for uh, over three quarters of the first history, uh, uh, the history of the church, and then they, they sort of kind of faded away. And so there's been efforts by different people to bring those back. But the selection of Psalms that we literally read together, studied together, and sang together were some of the ones that were a little bit less known. And to be honest with you, they're a little bit more difficult emotionally because oftentimes we're not accustomed to really expressing ourselves, even sometimes alone with God, in a very raw, uh, honest, and dark sort of way. But that's exactly what this invites us to do. Well, the psalm today is far more popular, far more well-known than a lot of those. And to be honest with you, it's, it's way more uplifting. And yet, if you think about it, this psalm has most meaning when we sing it when we pray it, when we read it and study it in those dark times. Now, this wouldn't have been how David sang it, but consider this. The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me down to lie. In pastures green he leadeth me. The quiet waters by my soul he doth restore again, and me to walk doth make within the paths of righteousness, in for his own name's sake. Yea, though I walk in death's dark veil, yet will I fear no ill, for thou art with me and thy rod, and staff me comfort still. My table thou hast furnished, 
furnished in presence of my foes. My head thou dost with oil anoint, and my cup overflows. Goodness and mercy all my life shall surely follow me, and in God's house forevermore my dwelling place shall be. David was a musician, and he wrote songs and sang songs, and the Bible tells us that those songs that we have in the Bible that are attributed to him are no less than the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking through him. And so we have a song that's for us, even though it's words of comfort and faith and praise, it's words of comfort, faith, and praise for us in difficult situations. You know, when, when David sang this song, he, he sang of the positive outcomes, and yet there were types of situations in which we can, without a whole lot of imagination, uh, see those situations playing out in the negative alternative, or even in some of these lines, the negative outcome or the negative alternative that was possible is clearly on display. So you think about it. He sang of situations where his basic necessities had to be met. Now, maybe he was intending to speak of that in sort of metaphorical terms, but let's look at the, the literal level. Basic necessities like solid food and drink and having a place to lie down in comfort so that he could rest and do so without anxiety. And so we could see that situation playing out differently, and yet he could testify and sing of how God had given him uh, what he needed. He talks about situations where safety was an issue, where there could have been harm or deadly threat that did end up causing him harm or did end up taking his life. Predators and malicious factors. And even when he shifts to the, uh, the, the guest host metaphor, as he does toward the end of it, in both pictures, whether it's the shepherd's sheep or the guest host, we can look at that need for companionship and hospitality. And we think about the need for guidance that he sings of. We could see those things playing out uh, either positively or negatively. And yet David sings of positive outcomes. And yet David doesn't sing as a naive person, as a person who hasn't experienced the reality of these things pressing in on him. Think about one of the big stories of David's life. You know, David was the second anointed king of Israel. But the first anointed king was Saul. And Saul's uh, career as a king didn't play out very well. And so God removed his blessing. And, and David was actually anointed way before Paul, uh, Saul ever uh, died. And yet David didn't officially enter into the kingship until after Saul's death. And Saul became jealous of David. And he pursued David as if he was a rotten, evil person chasing after him, almost like if he was hunting a deer down, trying to take his life. Saul tried to murder David and have David murdered. And so he was in hot pursuit. And so David knew what it meant to live life under threat, real threat. To be honest with you, I don't know if I've ever had anything even close to that. But that's not necessarily the point, whether we can measure our experience against David's or not. Now, like David, we have challenging circumstances that we face as well. 
you know, the reality is that the story of our church family and our local community, we've had lots of big-time challenges recently. Uh, maybe as many as we've ever seen in this short a period of time since I've been here. I mean, this is, we're about to finish our seventh year here. You know, we sometimes refer to these challenges as storms. And even if all storms are not created equal, I've heard it said that everyone is probably either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or headed into one or back into one. Sometimes those storms, like we've had literal storms recently where we thought it was going to be bad, and, and thankfully it was just sort of a strong winds and, and nothing too terrible happened close by, although other people experienced worse. But yet we have plenty of stories of literal storms, uh, and when you think about it, over the last five to ten years where it's a Category 3 or 4 or 5 tornado. And sometimes life's circumstances, uh, for, especially for some of us, feels more like one of those high-intensity tornadoes. One of the key things that David sings about here is he, he talks about and sings about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Or as some people uh, say is better translated, in darkest valley. A place where there are threats by death-dealing forces that may lurk under cover of darkness, willing, willing and ready to do us harm and to even take our life. And it raises the matter of potential death and actual death. You know, that, that key, hits real close home for us, doesn't it? A lot has happened in the recent weeks and months. Uh, apart from just dealing with the whole last year of the pandemic and the challenges that's, that's uh, caused us to face. We all know in our heads that death is a part of the human journey. And we know that it, even knowing that doesn't make it an easy pill to swallow. I'm really glad that the Apostle Paul didn't say Christians don't grieve, but he actually talked to the Thessalonians about Christians should grieve as, as those who, we should not grieve as those who do not have hope. But the reality is, is that we still grieve, sometimes very deeply so, and it can be pretty doggone heavy. You know, I can testify, too, about my own journey with grief. I didn't know exactly what it would feel like uh, when I lost one, someone as close to me as my dad, but that was a very tough journey. And yet, even when it hit, there was this sense that God was with me, and I've seen where he sustained me, and he sustained my family, and he's met me, and, and now I can remember and be thankful, even if times I still feel some sadness. And by the way, again, let me reiterate it, it's okay to feel sad as a Christian because sometimes we sort of take in a belief that that's somehow totally inconsistent with faith and totally inconsistent with a walk with God. And yet, we want to see God meet us in that and help us through that even if we still walk with somewhat of a limp, as we sometimes do. And so God meets us, and God has met me, and God has met my family. You know, death can be difficult even under the best end-of-life circumstances. I think about one such story, when I think about the story that our congregation has been living the last couple months, where this person, they lived a 80-plus year life, and they had lived uh, nearly the majority of their life as a vibrant Christian. And they were so ready to go weeks in advance that I could almost imagine them when they finally passed over, tapping their watch and said, where you been, Lord? It's about time. And then we have those difficult circumstances. Um, and and, and those, those are difficult circumstances even under those, those kind of conditions. How much more difficult is it 
when the circumstances have troubling, complicated, untimely, or extremely tragic circumstances surrounding that. And we've had uh, more than our share of those, it seems, lately. Some of us have known these circumstances with, with such suddenness, such a sense of coming out of nowhere, that it may crush us. Some of us can say it, it's, it's sort of those, it was before their time sorts of scenarios, even though we know in our head that none of us are promised tomorrow or even this afternoon. And yet, it crushes us maybe even with a deeper sense of grief and sadness even than those, quote, normal circumstances where we face death. You know, David had been through many difficult circumstances, and David had found a confident hope in which he could celebrate. David gives a confident, celebratory witness to his God in the midst of his difficult circumstances. You know, this is a psalm of faith and praise, even though there's not a single word about David saying, I believe in God or I trust in God. He never uses the word praise or thanks. And yet, the whole song is nothing but David's concrete expressions of faith and praise to his God. The first word in the passage is the Lord, or in Hebrew, Yahweh. Whenever you see the word Lord in the Old Testament, and it's in all capital letters, it's a reminder that at that point, we're talking about the personal, special, revealed name of God who has made covenant with his people. It's a name that has character, and it's a name that has history. Whenever you hear Lord in all capitals, you should think first and foremost going all the way back to the God who created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. You should think about things like the God who came to an old couple, Abram and Sarai, who were old and Sarai was barren and they had no biological children, and yet he used that couple to start the nation who would become the covenant people of Israel through whom Christ would come. We should think about how that nation began to to blossom and flourish and ended up in Egypt where they continued to blossom and flourish and they became, became a great people. And yet they became oppressed by Pharaoh and God came to them. Yahweh came to them and he sent plagues and performed signs and then ultimately he would split the, the Red Sea so that his people could walk through on dry land as if they were walking on the beach and then close up those waters around those who meant to do harm to God's people. This is the one that David's talking about. And this is the one that he could say is my shepherd. David had a a personal experience with God. He was claiming God for himself because God had come to him and claimed him. And we shouldn't feel bad about making that personal here and getting intensely individual around these words. David repeatedly uses my and I language to point to the fact that God had come to help him. And yet it was not simply my God. He says it was my shepherd. David was a man of the flock, so he knew what it meant to go out and to look after animals that needed him. And he had a, that's how we meet David. When we look at 1 Samuel 16 and 17, that's the first things that we hear about David, is that he's a man out there watching his family flock. And God enabled him to do heroic things, to save that flock from predators. And so David, when he looked on his own history with God, and then further back to all the things that Yahweh had done for his people, he had received a faith that said, God will do this for me. He has done these these types of things for me, and he will do these things for me. And ultimately, David is singing this song in the first person, 
so that, that, that we can then sing that song in the first person. David had known the shepherd's provision. That's why he could say, I shall not want, or as some translations say, I have all that I need. He had known the shepherd's provision, therefore he could sing, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. David had known the shepherd's protection. That's why he could talk about, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Those different implements and pieces of equipment that the shepherd would have used to protect and provide and to prod along. David had known the shepherd's paths. The Lord had been leading him in good paths. He'd been leading him into places of safety and protection. He'd been leading him into places of provision. And as the language seems to suggest, God had especially been leading him in those right ways, giving him spiritual and moral guidance so that he had the opportunity to walk in the good way that pleased God rather than, than in the wrong way that displeased God. Unfortunately, David didn't always choose that path, but God was always good to lead him in it. But underneath it all, David had known the shepherd's presence. This was the real key to all of these things, that God not only was above him, God was not only out ahead, him, ahead of him, but God was right beside him. And so he could have intimate relationship. He could talk to God and know that God was talking to him. All of these things help him to experience the shepherd's prestige. You, re you read that verse where it says, for his name's sake. You see, Yahweh's character was on the line. And so for him to not act in these ways would have basically denied his character, denied his reputation. And yet David knew in his own experience that God was good. His name is good, and he's lived up to the goodness of his name. And maybe the most powerful thing of it all is what David sings in the last verse. David sings in the last verse about, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The, the verb, the language shall follow, is actually maybe a little weak. A lot of people say we ought to translate that verse something like pursue. Maybe it ought to be something like hot pursuit. Because apparently that, that verb would have normally been used in the biblical writings to talk about when some enemy of God was in pursuit trying to kill or take life. And so it's an interesting kind of language play there. It's, that it's not Saul who was in hot pursuit of me that's ultimately pursuing me. But what I found is that God, in his infinite goodness, in his covenant loyalty and mercy, is actually pursuing me as hotly as an enemy who's trying to take my life. And that's the wonderful message, and that's the ultimate good news that could lead David to sing such a song of confidence, such a song of celebration and praise. is because God was hot, hotly pursuing him, seeking to take him down with his goodness and his mercy and his covenant loyalty. And the reason I think David could say that is because he'd been through the worst. He had actually taken, rather than the path of righteousness, he had taken the path of inexcusable unrighteousness earlier in his kingship. And he had put his relationship with God in disarray. And yet God was not willing just to simply throw him away, but to come and convict him and to, to lead him to repentance and bring him back. 
And so ultimately at the end of the day, not only had David known the shepherd's provision and the shepherd's protection and the shepherd's paths and the shepherd's presence and proven the shepherd's prestige and experienced the hot pursuit of the shepherd, but ultimately at the end of the day, the most satisfying thing was the result was that he had become the shepherd's person. He had been claimed by the Lord, and so therefore he could claim the Lord as his shepherd. But how in the world is that song relevant for us right now? You know, we may look at this and say, yeah, I need the shepherd and his shepherding experience. I want the shepherd and his shepherding experience. But when I look at the circumstances that I've been experiencing, and maybe some of these have touched us personally, or maybe just the weight of others' experiences are weighing heavy on us, and we think, is this for us? How is this going to give us any hope right now? Well, I think it's important to recognize that David's giving a testimony. He's not necessarily giving us a laundry list of everything we might expect and then saying God's going to meet every single one of those expectations. Because you know what? Life still has death and pain. And God may, may sometimes deliver us miraculously, and probably a lot of us could say, you know what? I've seen where the Lord has spared my life. He has given me the healing in the midst of a bad diagnosis. Others of us, we may look at our situation and say, where's God? What does this say? Is, this, is God even real? Or does he play favorites and I'm not one of his favorites? Do I even belong to him? Because if I look at my circumstances and I look at what David received, maybe this says something about my relationship with God. Maybe I don't even know the shepherd. But the, the point is, I think, is that we have this song because it's intended to become our song. And sometimes we may have to actually sing it until it becomes true or until we, we find it to be true or until God brings us to a place where we realize, oh, it has been true, but I wasn't able to see it. There's this story in the life of John Wesley. This was before he really sort of went gangbusters, as we say. And he, he'd come to a crisis in his life where he looked into his own heart and he said, I don't believe I, I even know the Savior I'm pro proclaiming to other people. I don't believe I have a real faith. And he was struggling with whether or not he should even go on in ministry because that was true, or at least that's what he felt to be true. And he had a mentor named Peter Bowler. He was a, a German Christian. And as Wesley was discussing this with him, Peter Bowler actually encouraged him with these words. He says, preach faith till you have it. And then, because you have faith, preach faith. So maybe the word for us this morning is, sing this song of confident hope till we have it. And then, because we have it, sing this song of our confident faith and celebration of God. We're trusting that this morning as we pray together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Shepherd, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. Jesus, we thank you that in your life, you came to fulfill this song, and you said that you are the good shepherd, and that the good shepherd tastes death on behalf of his sheep so that we can know life. We thank you, good shepherd, that then you moved on from that place of where you declared yourself to be the good shepherd, and you went to the graveside of your friend Lazarus. 
And so that you would demonstrate that you are not only the good shepherd who would lay down your life for the sheep, but you are the resurrection and the life. You called forth Lazarus from the tomb, even as you weeped at his graveside. And this was all to show that you would then be the one who conquers death for us and that you give us resurrection life even and especially and because of we are in the midst of death. So come to us this morning, Good Shepherd. Whether we're high right now and have a confident faith and hope or whether we're walking the deepest, darkest valley and we don't see any hope in sight, meet us here, Lord Jesus, because you are the Good Shepherd. And we want to sing this morning that your name is great and that you are our life. We pray all this in your holy name and all God's children said, amen. This morning